Come and pray with us. Amen? Um, a bunch of dignitaries have been invited to come, uh, and then a series of pastors, um, including Steve and Terry Smith, will be praying uh, specific prayers over our community, and uh, we're looking for unity in the body of Christ, no matter what race or ethnicity you are. That's what we're looking for. You know why? Because Genesis 1, 26 and 27 doesn't say a thing about color. He just said, let's make man. Hey, guys, you want to make man? You know, okay, let's do it in our image. What do you say? Sound like a ball? That's what happened. He didn't say anything about ethnicity. And then it's funny because when Jesus came to redeem the world, and you guys have already heard this. I'm just giving this because it's important to me. Uh, when Jesus came to redeem the world, John 3.16 says, God so loved what? A specific ethnicity, right? That Jesus gave his life so that they would be saved, right? No, it says God so loved the world, the whole thing, the whole ball of wax. So come on out. Did anybody get a chance to watch the uh, Hope Center banquet this past Thursday? We watched it. We had a, had a good time. I was, I was so, so proud of, of Lauren and the team. Uh, the banquet was fantastic. I didn't know what to expect, but boy, they surpassed my expectations. So if you didn't get an opportunity to watch that, it is on YouTube. And if you didn't get an opportunity to give toward the Hope Center, which is, which is man, this, this isn't one of those ministries where you get to choose whether or not this is worthy of your dollar. Trust me, this is God's littles. These are God's littles. And He wants them preserved. This is where the body of Christ comes together and focuses their help and their support on ministries like that. Amen? Because if you don't, let's, let's be just frank. We're going to lose littles. They're going to be aborted. But uh, if Lauren and the team, the board, and God have anything to say about it, we're going to keep this going. Amen? Okay. All right. I'm going to go ahead and get right on into this with a story, okay? It was 1984. 1984. I graduated two years before that. <laughs> 1984. And Mick Jones was still awake at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. he was still awake. Insomnia was a constant friend of Mick's in the 80s. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, he was at the piano doing what he always did, working late. The benefit of his insomnia and constantly working late was that it had helped Mick's life to utterly change to where now he could breathe freely a little bit and he had time to write music. You see, just three years before, in 1981, Mick and his bandmates had released an all-conquering album simply entitled Four. Now, now he was on to the next project. An album to be entitled Agent Provocateur. When out of nowhere, inspiration struck Mick. I don't know where it came from, Mick said. I considered a gift that was sent through me. I think there was something bigger than me 
behind it. I'd say it was probably written entirely by a higher force. The song was an expression of my tempestuous private life over the last three years. It was an emotional time that stirred up a lot of things. Well, with troubles in the band due to the pressure of massive album sales numbering in the millions, having gone through a, the pain of a divorce, and with what Mick referred to as a Cold War situation with vocalist Lou Graham, supergroup Foreigner, with the help of about 30 members of the New Jersey Mass Choir, released the album Agent Provocateur at Christmas in 1984, containing the mega hit, I Want to Know What Love Is. It was number one worldwide, Jones says, and I doubt there are many people who haven't heard it. And that'd be true, because since 1984... That song has been played on more radio stations more times than you can count. And it's appeared in more television shows and movies than you can shake a stick at. Both comedy and series. It was played on the radio all around the world. And I started getting letters from people. Well, pay attention to this. I started getting letters from people who weren't necessarily fans. But had found comfort in that song at times, of suffering and sadness. Everybody took their own meaning from it, and that's all you can hope for as a writer. I want to know what love is. I think this line is particularly interesting. I started getting letters from people who weren't necessarily fans, but had found comfort in that song, in times of suffering and sadness. You and me, as Christians, we know what love is. We know what love is. We don't turn to the FM radio dial to find out what love is in times of sadness and suffering. We know what love is. We have what I just referred to mere minutes ago, John 3:16 and 17. To thanks for that. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Now, there's a lesson a few preachers and churches and Christians could learn from. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it. For God so loved the world, He sent His Son into it to save the world through Him. So, we know what love is. Not only that, we have Genesis 3 and 15 as the very first expression of that love. A prophetic look into the future concerning that love. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. 
He will crush your head. I don't know about you, but that should make you all happy. Because the enemy of our souls is in hot pursuit of any and all lives that will relinquish themselves intentionally or accidentally to him so that he has the express pleasure of dragging them to hell. But God knew because he had a lamb that was slain before the very foundations of the world. For God so loved the world. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And we have 1 Corinthians 13. If John 3, 16 and 17 isn't enough, and Genesis 3 and 15 isn't enough, we've got 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It describes what love looks like, not only for us, now hear me, but through us. The very same love that's produced for us, as recipients of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as recipients and vessels of this Holy Spirit of God, that very same love in 1 Corinthians 13 needs to be a love that we display out because we've been empowered to do so. But 1 Corinthians 13, is a, that's a description of love and its operation. What does love look like in action? See, that's the thing I think sometimes eh, when we're preaching, we tend to say concepts, but don't necessarily give, well, how do I live that out, though? Yes? You're all afraid to say that. What does it look like in action? What does love look like in a practical sense, from a Christian perspective, in a world filled with hatred? How is 1 Corinthians 13's love applied? How does that work? Look, it doesn't take a whole lot to figure out. There's a whole lot of division in our nation. Yes, really it is. And what is our job as children of God? Let me ask you this question, and this isn't in my notes, and I'm really afraid how long this is going to take. In light of current circumstances, both socially, ethnically, racially, and politically, What does that have to bear? How does the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, how does that react in times like this? Are these the dark times when no one gets to work? Because the Bible addresses that. Work now because there's coming days when there's no good, you're not going to be able to any longer. So is that today? Is that now? How, how many of you, when you walk out your front door, are facing hatred and malice on a catastrophic scale in your life personally? Raise your hand. Okay, let me just say, 
that the vast majority of you are not experiencing that. Had a couple of hands. So what does that say about you? And the displaying of the John 3.16, the, the, the evolution or the, the, the appearance of Genesis 3.15 and the 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love expression. What does that have to say to all of the rest of us? It says this, we are not out of business. We are not out of business. God's got a plan. This morning I'd like to speak to you on the subject that I've simply entitled, I want to show what love is. What does love look like? When we think about loving in a world where there's so much strife, so much hatred, so much violence, so much adversity, so many clashing of ideas and so on and so forth, what does that mean on a daily living level? From the Lord's point of view, let's start where we can take the the lead, the model from. We look to Him, we see what He does, what He did, and we look at that and go, okay, that's what He did, that's what love looks like from the throne's perspective. How can I apply that? Let's look at this. From the Lord's point of view, it looks like what happened on the Via Della Rosa. From the Lord's point of view, love looks like what happened at Calvary. From the Lord's point of view, love looks like the three days that he spent in a tomb. And love looks like his resurrection and his subsequent uh, ascension. In other words, if you take all of that and put the cherry on top of the fact that he actually came down from heaven to earth in the first place, to experience the Via Della Rosa, to experience Calvary, to experience the death and burial and resurrection, to display this kind of love. If we look at all that, showing what love looks like from you and me, I mean, who here is going to go over to, over to Israel and walk down the road with a cross? Who's going to do that here? Just raise your hand. Nobody? Okay. Seeing that crucifixion is no longer allowed in Israel because the Roman government isn't even there anymore, I don't think anybody's going to go do that. Not questioning the power of God to resurrect you from the dead, I don't think you're going into a grave anytime soon and having him pop you back up. And that would be pointless anyway because you have no ability to redeem anyone. So who cares, right? So what does all that mean? From God's perspective, how does that translate into you and I loving this world that is so divided right now and God only knows how many of the lost are still redeemable? Only God knows that. So how does that look? It looks just like this. Showing what what love looks like looks a lot like what Jesus did in essence with all of that stuff. What did he do? He sacrificed. He sacrificed. How many of you act 
or react when someone does something that really annoys you? How many of you act in response with love? Or you react with, if I could get you, I will kill you. Think about what you do in your life. I'm asking you, children of God, the body of Christ, to analyze yourselves and someone cuts you off, someone does something, just in your flesh, you simply want to remove their heart by reaching through their mouth, down their throat, into their chest cavity, getting a firm, decisive grip on that muscle. And extracting quickly. Without anesthetic. How, when someone, is that you? You, I almost got it. I love you with the love of the Lord, but I'm going to kill you. How, do you act or do you react? You see, this is where, right here and right now, when you, because I'm going to, can I confess? Remember I told you some weeks ago, I'm a former Catholic, confession's big. Okay? I'm going to confess to you right now. I win that battle about half the time. You're all like, don't be like that. Don't be like that. We're all just human beings, right? God put me here in this position for his reasons and his reasons alone. He didn't ask my permission. He doesn't care. And he didn't see if I was okay with it. He put me here because God's will put a calling on my life to do this. That's why I'm here. That doesn't make me better or anything different than you. And when sometimes I'm just, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. My last confession was, oh, I don't know. If none of you have ever been Catholic, that is the lead-in that you say in the confessional. Just educating you. I win that battle about 50% of the time. What does that say about me? i got a lot of work to do. Got a lot of work to do. And that work, you know what that work looks like? And this is not in my notes. I'm so far away from my notes right now, it's unbelievable. That looks like the Via Della Rosa. I've got to be willing to walk down that way of suffering. Recognizing the fact that when I get so upset with someone who's done someone something to upset me, I've got to recognize that is not God. That is the enemy of my soul. That is my carnal man. And I'm allowing those things to rise up and stay alive in my life. So I've got to be willing to acknowledge that and walk down that Via Della Rosa. And once I get to the end of that, if that wasn't bad enough, and let's be honest, folks, if you've ever crucified your own flesh, you know the Via Della Rosa's tough. You know that's a bad thing to have to endure. Well, then you have to understand, if I've come all this way and I recognize that that's not God, I have a decision to make, I'm either going to cut this short and not get on the cross. 
and obey the Lord in killing this thing in me, or I'm going to refuse, keep it alive, nurture it, make sure it's healthy, and disobey God about 50% of the time when someone ticks me off and allow my flesh and the shadow of the enemy to rise up within me, or I can complete the process and get on that cross, kill that thing that is not God and is thriving in my life at least 50% of the time. And let it die there in obedience to my King. What He did is what we have to do. But we have to acknowledge that. Why am I telling you this on a sermon that I've entitled, I Want to Show What Love Is? Because look, you're either going to show those people that you love them by dying to those things that would show them your hatred, or you're going to miss opportunity to minister the Spirit of God and the love of God, which is what you've been called to do. End of discussion. All power has been given unto me. Therefore, because of that, you guys go. Well, I can't go. I don't like them enough. I hate people. Can't you make them just go away? Which I think is probably, Ingrid, that's probably the problem with a lot of us. We, it's not a question of... Anything other than, you know what? I don't have the love of God in me. Because I don't like you. Your eternity, it's just not that important to me. I go to church. Yeah, that makes you saved. Just getting in them church doors. Singing that good music. Amen in the preacher. Thank you. Boy, that's going to rock you into heaven right there, right? Because you look like you're a Christian. You know the old, old, old illustration. Every preacher on the planet has used it. I'm going to use it this morning. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you a car. I actually got, people actually hadn't heard that in this room. Yeah, I made that up just now. <laughs> Love is something that takes sacrifice. And I'm not talking about on the end of it where you're actually loving on somebody. I'm talking about long before you ever get there because let's be honest. Most of us, we don't take the Great Commission very seriously. And the reason we don't take it very seriously is because that love that would compel us to compel them to come in doesn't reside in us. That's where we are. You know what? I, I am the pastor that I envision is the big bummer. I just want to be blessed, Michael. I know that. I know you want to be blessed. Well, then why don't you preach good things to me? Why 
Because in the same way that I'm called to stand right here, you're called to sit right there. That's why. So, from the Lord's position, from the Lord's perspective, those are the things that He did. And once, once you've walked the Via Della Rosa in your heart, those things that are there, and once you've allowed that cross to be affixed to you or the vice versa, then you're just going to have to accept the fact that death is a part of your life. You're just going to have to accept the fact that now I've got to die to this stuff because this stuff is not him. It is not him. It never will be him. And it's in me, and I've got to get out. And so love looks like sacrifice. And so before we ever get any good, any good at all, at loving the lost, much less those people where you watch on television, you watch them uh, attacking police, you watch them throwing things through windows, you watch them beating up innocents, You watch them burning down buildings. Those are the kinds of people, let's be honest, we love to hate because it's easy. The Bible delineates the lost from the evil. It does. The problem is, is we don't know which necessarily which one is which. And so we've got to throw our hat into the ring all the way for all of them, whoever we may encounter. We've got to love them with the love of the Lord. And we've got to, whoever it is that we encounter, we've got to love them with the love of the Lord. And I'm going to tell you something, that's not going to be easy to do if you find yourself on the end of, of malicious speech and name calling and maybe even threat of violence. That's not going to be easy. But that's the calling by which we are called to. That is the calling that is Jesus Christ. I mean, you want to talk about ultimate retaliation. Let's be perfectly frank. Ultimate retaliation. If anybody had the, had the reason or the, 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 okay, the reason to be, a reason to be annoyed with the people that were harassing him, it was Jesus. He's nailed to a cross and says, well, not nailed, he's pre-nailing. He was actually in court. And he says, Don't you think I could call down ten legions of angels and make this place look like it never existed in history? But you know what the Gospels testify about His appearance in court and so on? He said precious little, if anything, at times. So, those are the kinds of things we need to go, man... What in the world am I going to do about this? Because I really don't like those people. I don't like the people I work with. I don't like the people I'm going to school with. I can't stand my liberal college professors. My boss is a total jerk. And boy, that neighbor, that dog of his comes over and does all that business on my yard. I'd like to walk out there, and it's a little dog, punt, and just send him back across the fence line. That would be my wish. That's not, that's not my scenario. I made that scenario up. 
where I live, if dogs come across onto our yard doing some bad stuff, we just shoot them. <laughs> Good old country living. Okay, I went too far. But we're going to have to look at Jesus and when he has the capacity to call of just a fraction of the arsenal of heaven and lay waste to every corrupt religious hypocrite and everything else around him. What does he do? He not only speaks precious little, he sees the long game in redemption of the world throughout all of history until his father calls an angel to play a note on a trumpet to call his people home, keeps his mouth shut, takes the cross, takes the Via Della Rosa, takes the grave, turns around, walks out victorious three days later, and shows us, this is what you're supposed to do. But the sacrifice starts way before the arrest in the garden. Okay, obviously, we're not getting to this sermon today. The sacrifice starts so long before. I want you to imagine this. I just want you to see this. Imagine way back in Genesis 1, where the Trinity gets together and they get together in a divine huddle and say, let's create man. Let's create man. It's going to be in our image. We're going to make two of them. We're going to make male and female, just like we do with the rest. And, you know, you try to superimpose human logic into that conference and you can't because they're divine. We're dirt that he breathed on. So this is the best we've got, right? This is all we've got to work with. But you see what's happening. And it wasn't like in that meeting as an afterthought, someone goes, well, you know, they're going to screw it up, right? It's going to happen. What are we going to do about that? All right. All three of them lined up. Okay, we gotta we gotta have a perfect lamb. We gotta have a sacrifice that'll that'll make sure and and, and redeem them and everything. All right, who 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 volunteers? God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Step back. And Jesus is out there going. I know that's not how it happened. I know that, but the reality is. Is that's not only not how it happened, it is so not how it happened because the Bible says that lamb was already prepared for, slain, spilled the blood on the altar of God before the foundations of the world were ever even established. The sacrifice started so much earlier. Then the arrest in the garden, or the Via Della Rosa, or the accepting of the whip at the post. It happened countless eons before the sacrifice was made. We have to look at our spirituality 
in the long game and recognize this. I may not be here yet, but I'm going to get here because He's going to get me here. He's going to make me sacrifice. He's going to get me where I'm going. And what the mercy is, you want to know what grace is all about. Grace, we always think of grace as God forgiving us of our sins. Cool. Let me tell you what grace really is. Grace is His presence before you ever get to a place of conviction and a place to an altar where your heart breaks. Grace is where He's shown up and said, you need to repent of your ways. He warns you of the darkness in your heart. He warns you of the sin that's in your life. He warns you of those actions, those thoughts, and that speech that is not of God. That's where grace starts long before you ever bow a knee to Him. That's your God. The thing about it is, is you just don't make a sacrifice like the divine made unless you have every single contingency covered And He wants us to understand that our life and our living is important when it comes to actually putting love out into the world. I know there's countless God-fearing people out there who, well, in lieu of recent events, are armed to the teeth for the worst. I know it. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with anyone protecting their their life, the lives of their loved ones, even the lives of innocent third parties. There is nothing wrong with that. And if there is, I have yet to hear about it. But when we take that road, when we take that road and set aside the need for our own change so that we might show what love is, we've chosen the wrong path. We have categorically chosen the wrong path. People need the Lord. I have told you in weeks gone by, choose a side. Take a stand and choose a side. That is what I meant. But in choosing your side, in all of this melee, in all of this mayhem, in this horrible mess that our country and the world finds itself in, in choosing a side, make sure that when you choose a side and you're standing against darkness, you are converting yourself more and more and more to the light. Because there is no room for dim Christianity in this world. Stand with me this morning. God is so good. My Lord, have mercy. God is good.
We have some prayer request cards up here, and I want to anoint them. Chip, would you come up here and, and anoint these requests with oil, even that list, because there's so many people on there that have needs. But this morning, let's, can we just take a few minutes, guys? Go ahead and play, sing. Cody, can you sing that song you sang this morning? Thank you. I'm sorry I I just interrupted your plans. Can we just take a few minutes this morning and let and, and try to recall what the Spirit of God has said this morning, but at the same time, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Because if there's one thing you need to know about me, it's that I am really, really honest about who I am. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be something that I'm not. If, I, if, if, I'm, if I'm a disaster, you're going to know it. Because I know it. God knows it. What's the point in hiding it? How many ever heard that or seen that old, old George Brooks George Burns, John Denver film, Oh God. I've used this here before many times as an illustration. John Denver's in the shower. He's in the shower, showering. George Burns shows up in his bathroom, tells him to come on out. John Denver says, I'm in the shower, I'm, I'm naked. You know, because that's how we operate. You, you can't see my nakedness. Did everybody pick up on that? I'm not going to let you see my nakedness. And George Burns, playing God, says, You don't think I don't know what you got? So it is absolutely fruitless this morning to try to protect what you got from God. He already knows. And all we're trying to do, guys, listen, look at me. All we're trying to do is get from here to there and trying to bring as many as long with us as we possibly can. It really isn't any more complicated than that. So God knows what you got. Let's just stop for a minute. Let's just close our eyes. Just listen to the Spirit of God. Listen to this song. Sing the Moro Tobo Kosika Namarandai. Here I lay my burdens down